Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Sherry Mills has been a hairdresser for more than 45 years. She's had her own salon long enough to see life happen before her very eyes. She's listened to real-life problems and followed real-life outcomes, successes, and failures. And through several generations, longer and more extensively than marriage counselors can, she says that in her practice she's seen the pain from too many divorces didn't have to happen, and that she's been obsessed with trying to save as many marriages as she can. Her first book was I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead. It's written for women, and men wanted instructions of their own, so her new book is Marriage 101, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On, Outline Solutions for Issues that Sabotage Marital Accord. One of her pieces of advice, help isn't helpful. Sherry Mills says that multiple therapists and clinics use her books as references on how to work with couples to help them save their marriages. She's been married to Gerald Mills for 45 years. Uh, They have children, grandchildren, I believe, uh, one great-grandchild. The Mills live in Helper. Sherry Mills, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, So, uh, was I correct? You you have uh, a grandchild. Or a, well, a great I grandchild. I have two great grandchildren. <laughs> Wonderful. And there's a picture on your uh, blog, by the way, which is uh, called No More Divorces. It's at blogspot.com. You have uh, you have a picture of your of your happy family. Uh-huh. And uh, the caption is that uh, you don't have to decide w- which uh, sets of parents you're going to on the holidays. This is our family. Uh, and I think that's one thing that you've been. Uh, you're on a mission almost, isn't it, uh, to, to pre- it is, prevent it divorces? I will, I will be doing this the rest of my life. Tell me a bit about how you got into into this. You uh, Early on, you became a hairdresser, right? Uh-huh. And then what happens when you're a hairdresser is, that, is your uh, patrons kind of become your family. And when I would see the pain of divorce, uh, and I didn't know what to do about it because I was kind of dumb at the time, I thought, you know, i just watch them walk out the door. I watched uh, one lady that didn't even tell her husband she was leaving. She just packed up while he went to, on a trip and left, and he didn't even know there was anything wrong. And uh, there, a lot of these things happened, and so I decided that I was going to do um, a lot of research and then make sure that I kept him in my chair and tried to stop as many divorces as I could. And, and I can say to this day that, that when somebody was going to get a divorce that was in my chair, I had him in my chair long enough, I could talk him out of the divorce because I learned how horrible divorces are. And when, they, when you get a divorce, you don't even realize what you're in for. You think, you think that, oh, my God, this is so hard. I just can't handle this anymore. So they just get out. And then they become into a, a ring of fire. I mean, it is just, it's just awful. And so I did eight years of research, really. I mean, uh, gradually, as I was doing the research, and I discovered that the biggest reason for divorces that didn't have to happen was the double duty, double standard of household work, because because uh, the women, uh, you know, we all believed that um, that it's the women's job to do this, the, everything in the house. It's just embedded in our psyches, and so a woman wouldn't tell her husband that he he'd say she'd say why don't you help me more but she would never ever specifically say this should be both of our jobs if we both work mm-hmm. she would never say that so what would happen is the resentment and anger would build up and build up and build up until it just blew up luckily a lot of them had me to vent to and i would just beg them to tell their husbands how they felt and they wouldn't they they said how can i i can't say anything and I have a lady to this day who's actually my age who says, I'm so glad that book came out. I'm just going to try to get him to read it. And I said, well, why don't you tell him? And she says, I have never told him, and I, I wouldn't dare bring it up. And, and this is what I've 
been facing. And so I thought, you know, what I need to do is try to change society's minds, get society to realize that when two people are working full-time jobs, they need to share the responsibilities. That doesn't need to be, mean they have to do 50-50. Women are better at some things than other people. And I actually, in the men book, I actually made it so that men could pick their uh, chores that they want to do. And um, so this is actually why I did this all, because I just saw, and in my research, I actually saw, uh, found out that uh, national statistics in uh, 2005 said that of uh, 70% of working parents, that only 14% claim that both husband and wife share in the household duties. And of the 14%, they credit going to marriage counselors and and uh, finding out that that's the best way to do it. But um, there's a lot of a lot more in the book besides double duty, double standard, because I just want to make sure that no matter what problem there is, I even have a couple of where there was um, uh, infidelity. And depending on what kind of infidelity it is, um, I even got her and, and kept her in my chair until she gave him a second chance. And now they're enjoying their grandchildren and children, you know. Mm. So there's a lot to it. And I, I made sure that when I wrote the books that they would be easy to read, easy to uh, understand and easy to to uh, enact, and um, so that was my big thing because I thought this these books have to go out to society so that so that everybody realizes that this is the way it's got to be, and and men kind of might have to just explain to their wives, you know, you don't have to do all this. Hmm. I, I wonder if this yes, it, it does make sense, and uh, you know, a lot of this resonated with me these uh, my wife and i've had uh, some of these same discussions uh, and i imagine you you get that in fact you write in your your introduction that, uh, that this is really hitting a chord with people uh, and even you, you might think well today's modern world uh you know the the ideas between women and men are, are changing but it but it's it's not the case is it no it isn't it's uh it's you know, men think differently than women, and so women have to understand. I always say my whole big mantra is you have to understand before you can ever be understood. This is for men as well as women, because women and men think differently. So for a woman, you know, in the, in the first book, I don't know whether you read that or not, but the first book, I actually, everybody thinks it's a man-hating book, and actually it's me telling women, hey, straighten up, quit blaming your husbands for everything and realize what you've done, you know? And that's what that is basically all about because that's what I found out I did before I went on strike I was a, I was worse than anybody mm. I did everything wrong and so you're I saying was, you're you're saying I, yeah uh, I think one of your messages is uh, to women is your uh, you helped create the man the way he is right uh, if you if you have a problem with, with him not just helped I think that, that we created it we, we created it because when we first get married we we have all the energy in the world, and then, and then, so we, and we want to please our husbands. We want to show what a good wife we are and what a good uh, housekeeper we are and, and everything. And so it's our own fault to begin with, because then what happens is you get, you get married, and you're, and you're waiting on him hand and foot, and, and then uh, all of a sudden you see him sitting down while you're working, and the, it's a gradual thing. You start getting resentment. You get this resentment that builds and builds, and you don't really realize you're resentful. You just think, What's he doing there? Why doesn't he help me with the dishes? And, and, and she never says anything. Never says anything. Then he starts just thinking, well, she's, she's just really boring. She never wants to go anywhere, so I, I guess I'll go fishing. So then he goes fishing, comes home, has no idea he's supposed to do anything. And so uh, it all just evolves into something that is just 
horrible. And by the time it gets to the to the end point to where she is not attractive anymore because she's so busy with the kids and busy with the house and busy with keeping things up that she can't keep herself up. Mm. And I have found that this is a reason for a lot of infidelities, too, mm. because a man is bored because he doesn't have enough to do. He comes home and, you know, okay, I worked all week and now i got to rest, and so he rests, then he gets bored, then he decides to go out and have fun. And, and uh, I've seen a lot of that happen for that very reason. And a lot of people, I just talked to a lady the other day because I said, you know, divorce, they will never, ever say, the reason I got divorced is because my husband wouldn't help with housework. What they say is something else. They are so, um, they are so intense and, and so incensed by the time they are about to ready to get the divorce that if he walks in the door and says the wrong thing, that's it. They say, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. This one lady said, you know, Sherry, she says, I never did know why I got a divorce. She says, I never did know. I thought, why did I get a divorce? It was, I can't even remember the thing that it was. But she says, when you wrote that book, I realized exactly what it was. And it was that resentment that I carried for so many years that all of a sudden, just one little tiny thing would just make the whole thing blow up. I wonder if you could tell, tell us the story of Helen and Jim. This is in uh, the thing that appears in both books. Um, and this is, I think, we could all nod our heads. And we've, we've, we've known couples. Maybe we've, maybe we've gone through them. Maybe we've lived this. What was you saying to, uh, for me to tell? Uh, so, yeah, uh, Helen and Jim. Uh, oh, Helen and Jim. Okay, yeah. so you, I changed everybody's name, so I'm trying to figure out who Helen yeah, and Jim yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you, you keep confidences, so you've, you've, you've changed names and details so that people don't know who they are. Yes. So Helen and Jim, are they the, the first ones in the uh, first yeah, book? Yes, yes. Okay. Oh, that was, that was the saddest thing that I have ever seen because um, after they got divorced, both of them were so unhappy. I mean, they were so unhappy that they got the divorce, but by then... Everything had gotten so bad. But what they did was, I mean, she complained to me constantly. I mean, she came to me for everything. We were, we were, uh, she'd, she'd come every week, and then she'd come for uh, haircuts, and she'd come for, uh, I'd, I'd bleach her hair, and, and I'd give her perms. And so she was always in my shop, and she would never be there without just, just having fits about her husband. And when she first got married, I mean, she was so much in love. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. And when she told me she was going to get a divorce, I just about died. I thought, I thought this was a good marriage, and I was close to her, except for that she did complain about her husband. But I had a lot of people that complained about their husbands, and I'd try to tell them, you know, they're not so bad. You, don't, you know, do this, do this. And so anyway, um, she actually filed for divorce, and then she told me, I said, well, have you ever told him that you, the things that you've told me? And she said, no, he should have known. And I said, they don't know. They have no idea. It, it isn't his fault. It, you know, it, they, they don't know these things. And she just, and she left, and it took about a year before they both were just so unhappy. And to this day, they're, I mean, well, uh, the one has passed away by now, but, but they, it's just unhappiness that goes on and on, and the kids suffer, and the kids, uh, one of them got into drugs, and, the, you know, it, it just changes everything. Their A's turn to F's, the kids' A's turns to F's, and the and they just have so much pain to deal with. And the parents have pain of their own, so they don't know how to deal with the, pain of the kids. The biggest thing I hear from parents are, well, they're young. They'll grow out of this. Well, it's not the truth. They hide it, and they put a clown face on, and they try to make everything right for both parents, and it's a lifetime job. Mm-hmm. Because what they have to do for the rest of their lives is talk really nice about the parent they're with and not say one good thing about the other parent while they're with the parent they're with. And they live in a suitcase for the rest of their lives until they, until they get 18 and just leave. 
Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And in fact, uh, as sometimes happens, uh, Helen married another man. He turned out to be abusive. Big time. Yeah. And abused the child. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, and and you apparently did uh, Jim's hair as well, so you got you got both both sides. Um, yes. And so when you told Jim uh, the reason why Hel- the Helen gave you, um, he he was flabbergasted, wasn't he? He 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 didn't know. He had no idea. He said, "I didn't know I was supposed to do all that stuff." He says, "She never told me anything." And then she says, "He, he says she told me that she was always happy. She always told me that she was happy in our marriage." And and I asked her about that too, and she says, "Yeah, I did, just to get him off my back." I told him everything he wanted to hear. Hmm. But, uh, one of the mess- she's been feeding for years. One of the messages that uh, that she had, I think, you know, a lot of women uh, say he should have known. Yep. And and that's one of the messages I want to get across to everybody is that they don't know. Men do not know. I had when I was on this a TV program, the cameraman. Um, after we got through, he he came up and he says, you know what, if I had known some of this stuff 15 years ago, I'd still have my wife and little girl. Hmm. He was just downtrodden. And Jim... Because I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, and Jim, uh, he had his frustrations. He, uh, he's, he said, well, I, I provide a, a good living for my family. I do everything for her. And, and now she's wanting a divorce. Yep, that's what, that's what he thought. He thought that his job was to provide. Now, in, in their situation, she was a stay-at-home mom, but, but she, uh, like on the weekends, when he didn't work, uh, he still would just go off and leave her. So she was a stay-at-home mom and a stay-at-home wife on the weekends. And uh, so she did everything um, like that in that situation. But um, I think that it actually works for stay-at-home moms as well as the working moms. The working moms, it's it's a lot worse because then you kind of compare yourself. Uh, she didn't really compare herself as much as she just, she just interpreted it as she didn't love him. Hmm. And, uh, and she would, but married people automatically know, I mean, not I'm working mothers automatically know that this is unfair. Hmm. They, they know within a month after marriage that this is unfair. It starts out by being unfair, then it starts out being resentment, and then it gets to anger and resentment. And that anger and resentment, if it's not brought out, explodes into a monster. We're talking with Sherry Mills. Uh, She lives in uh, Helper. She's been a hairdresser for more than 45 years. And that's where she got into uh, hearing life stories. And and she has an advantage, she says, over therapists in that she... Uh, she sees the outcomes of, of these stories and over multiple generations. And over time, uh, she, she came to uh, be on a mission against divorce. In fact, her blog is, is called No More Divorces. Uh, so uh, hearing these stories, she uh, did a lot of research. And her uh, two books are I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead. The new book is Marriage 101 for Men, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. And uh, we'll get into talking about some specific uh, tips. Uh, she says that the, these problems are solvable. She's got to bring them out, talk about them, work together. Um, chapter one, very interesting, uh, for men, housework, your missing link to sex. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk about Sherry Mills' uh, own story. She went on strike and uh, had her uh, husband uh, sign a, a contract. Uh, we'll uh, get to that following this break. This is Lloyd Berenson, director of the Bear River Health Department. When PM 2.5 levels rise, everyone's body has a different response. PM 2.5 is made up of small particles that can get deep into our lungs. 
These particles can cause symptoms like coughing, wheezing, or nose and throat irritation. For some, the effects of PM2.5 may be great, and others may be able to tolerate elevated PM2.5 levels without feeling negative health effects. But everyone needs to make health decisions based on the actual pollution level and your individual sensitivity. To find actual pollution levels, visit air.utah.gov. Remember to stay informed and protect your health when PM2.5 levels are high. The Bear River Health Department provided this content in response to Utah Public Radio listener questions about air pollution and health for our community engagement reporting project. To join our public insight network and have a say in what we report, go to upr.org and click on Become a Source. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread. At 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Introducing Pumpernickel Rye and Pandemie. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Sherry Mills. Uh, she lives in Helper. She's been married to her husband, Gerald, for 45 years. And uh, she has uh, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. She didn't uh, get a divorce, even though she was resentful in her marriage about the uh, householder work. She calls it that. We'll ask her why. Uh, she took the uh, the measure of going on strike, and uh, she and her husband were able to work things out. She's on a mission to prevent divorces. She's seen the results of divorces from some of the problems we've been talking about uh, in her work as a hairdresser. She's had her own salon long enough to see life happen before her very eyes and has listened to real-life problems and followed real-life outcomes. And she did extensive research. Her books are, I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on a Strike Instead, uh, written to women. And the new book, Written to Man, Marriage 101, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. Uh, you're welcome to join this conversation. If you have a perspective that you feel could be helpful, we'd love to hear your story. Uh, and there are several ways to do that. You can uh, join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page where uh, Jill Morgan has liked our post. You'll see a picture there of uh, Sherry Mills. Uh, you can also join us uh, by email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. And you can call us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Sherry Mills, this is quite interesting to me that in the first years of your practice as a hairdresser, you listened, you know, that's a nice service, but you you didn't uh, you didn't feel like you wanted to uh, jump in with advice. What what changed? Well, what changed was that I I saw that they were unhappy after they got divorced, and I thought, you know what, I've got to do something about this. These people depend on me. They depended on me to to listen and never ever divulge a source. And that's one thing that I did. But I thought, you know what, I've got to be a big mouth. I cannot stand here and let this happen. So I I did the research so that I could have everything. Uh, with me to um, to explain to them exactly what they're in for, and uh, the biggest thing, the biggest one that that really I, uh, a lot of people were really surprised about was was a woman who was married to this uh, attorney who was always out of town. He was he was always out of town, and so she found out. She came in one day, and, and he was a really good dad. He was such a good dad, and he they had uh, a, a lot of kids, and um, he started having an affair on her, and he came home and told her that. And told her that he just wanted a divorce. And um, so when she came in, she told me that. She said, my marriage is over. And I says, not on your life. And she says, yeah, but he says that it's over. And I says, well, then you just tell him 
you know, I told her exactly what he's going to go through, too, what he's going to have to divvy up and what he's going to have to do and, and everything. And first of all, she was just going to let it happen. And I said, do you want that little trollop to move into your house and, and then you can just be in the gutter or, or wherever? And I, I just let her know in uncertain terms that this was not going to happen. And we talked for about an hour and 45 minutes. And after we got through talking, she was bound and determined to make sure that she, you know, he, he wouldn't, he'd have to suffer. He wasn't going to just, she wasn't just going to take him back. But, um, but she worked it out, and um, he just, he is just the best husband in the world now. And so so the, I guess the, the idea is to, you know, if, if you want to, uh, fight for it. Fight for it, yes. Yeah. Fight for your marriage. Hmm. Because, you know, especially when you have kids, you're going to be, you're going to be hooked to, to each other for the rest of your lives if you have kids. It might as well be under one roof. So tell me, uh, you, you had, uh, I guess, the, that typical arc. You, you got married, were in love, had kids. But you say that about the time your kids started going to school, you had time to think, and you you had some of those resentments about the... Oh, big time, big time. My husband was a super guy. He, he worked real, real hard, and he, had, he was good with the kids and everything, and he, but he was a super male chauvinist. I mean, super male chauvinist. He would, I would work, and if he got home from work, Early, he'd just twiddle his thumbs until I could get home to open the fridge. That's how bad it was. And, uh, and I, I did it to him. I did it to him because I did it for all that time. And, and for, for the first little while, I was just oh, showing how wonderful I was and everything. But then that, this resentment started building, and the resentment didn't, didn't get really, really overblown until, until the kids were in school. And then I actually planned. I thought, you know, I've got to do something. And the kids actually were in junior high by the time I finally went on strike. But I planned it for about, I, for about three months it took me to, to write up the contract. And then I had to wait three more months before I could actually was able to say I will never give up. Because I knew that if I was going to put this much work into it, that I had to stick to it. Because I just thought, you know, it's either this or a divorce, and I do not want a divorce. I've seen too many divorces that didn't have to happen. But I knew I wasn't going to be doing this for the rest of my life. So what what ha- what happened? Uh, did, you know, at what point during your strike did uh, did your husband did he come to you start talking to you about it? No, what happened was uh, he didn't even know about it. He didn't know what I was planning anything. And so what happened one day? I was cooking supper and I sent my kids to the store, which was down at the end of the block, to get something for some ingredients for the rest of the supper. And and the and when they come back, they come back about in forty five minutes, which should have taken about ten minutes to get there and back. And I looked in the, in the sack, and it was all the wrong ingredients anyway. And so I blew up. I just blew up. And I said, get back to the store. I'm in the middle of cooking. Get back to the store and get the stuff. Well, he come running up the stairs, and he was sticking up for him. And he said, do you want to get the right stuff from the store? Just go do your own job. <laughs> I said, oh. This, he had never acted like that before. And I thought, oh, boy. I think God was looking at me and find a way for me to do this because I thought right then and there I would never give up now hmm. because of what he said. And I says, not only am I not going to the store, but as of this very second I am on strike. And he says, oh, and how do you profess to do that? And I said, it's all written down at the beauty shop. I says, I've got it in such and such a file. And then if you have any questions, I have that in this other file. So I said, we won't have to discuss anything. Everything's all self-explanatory. And I says, from here on in, we won't have to discuss it. And so that's how it started. And I think he went down just for curiosity, thinking, what in the world has she done? And he didn't come back for quite a while. And I had actually, one of the things I planned on is I would keep things picked up by the landing in case somebody came. 
and then I was going to go in to the bathroom and and make sure the bathroom was clean because I think the tooth fairy thought that the, they thought the tooth fairy did that anyway. So I thought that's one thing nobody will know that I've done. And so I thought, well, but I have to leave a mess. Well, come to find out, he wanted to prove that he could do it better than I could. So he started finishing dinner, and he. I, I sat in the front room, and I was just hearing all this, these sounds in the kitchen, and I didn't know what was going on. And my daughter comes in and says, uh, Dad said, come and eat. So I walked in there to this most beautiful uh, dinner and, and had dessert and everything. And I thought, here's this male chauvinist who really didn't know how to cook, and he cooked this up, this really neat dinner. So anyway, I ate the dinner, sat there and ate, and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I wanted to go up and just hug him because I thought, that is so sweet for him to do that. But he didn't do it out of sweetness. He did it because he wanted to show me. But I didn't know it at the time, and I thought, you know what? I can't go hug him. I've, this is something I have to stick to. He's got to read the contract, and he's got to sign the contract. And so I walked back to the, to the chair, and I, like I said in the book, it felt like I was walking a mile with lead in my shoes. It was so hard to go and sit down again. But, but I did. And then I just thought, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? And the same thing happened. He got up and made the kids do the, do the work, and he, did, he got uh, the kids out to school and, and went to work. And, and the kids would come to me, and they'd ask me questions, and I says, I'm not your mother either. You call your dad if you have a problem. And so they would call him, if, and they were really mad at me. They were so mad at me all the time. But he only got really angry one time because I told him, I said, I'm doing this for us. I said, you are worth sticking it out. I said, all your friends are getting divorced. And I said, and I don't want to divorce you. I want you for the rest of my life. And I said, but I will not do this for the rest of my life. And um, so he just he kept doing it. And the one day he came home, because I guess some of his friends had heard about it and told him uh, a few things. So he came in and he said, if you think you're going to tell me what to do, you're crazy. And he went on and on and on and on. And so... I told him, I said, okay, now you're through? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. It's taken me forever to plan this. And it's taken me forever to realize I would never give up. And I want you to know, at this very second, I will never give up. I said, I have a a second plan, and I have a plan after that. So I said, I will never give up. And and we actually were kind to each other. For the whole time, we hardly talked. But it was just, it wasn't a, you know, anything that happened. He was just trying to prove over and over again that he was better than I was. And then he finally called me in, and he says, have the kids come. And I says, well, first of all, he wanted to sign the contract. And I says, you haven't even read the contract. You can't sign it until you read it. And then about three or four days later, it took about eight days to get this done. And so he came in, and he said, have the kids come here. I want to sign the contract. And I says, I bet you're exhausted. And he says, I am. But he says, what makes me sick is I've been letting you do it all along. And from then and there, nothing was ever the same. Hmm. He would help pack for for, uh, to go on picnics and go on trips, he would um, he would do whatever he had to do. We we just waited on each other for the rest for the rest of our time. So the result over thirty years ago. So the results were very good in your case anyway. Very good. Uh, do you have and and I'm sure you've you know you've you've had feedback I'm sure from from the books. Um, what are you hearing that uh, how long it takes and uh, and and what the reaction is from from the, from the man, maybe start with the man, what the reaction is. Well, what the reaction from the man is, I, I'll have to tell you the first reaction from the man first, because when I first started, started signing the books, uh, the title itself, I would have men come by and they'd say, that book better not end up at my house. <laughs> and that's the type of thing that they would say. And then uh, I had an article in the Red Book magazine, and uh, it was on a man's 
website, and they said all kinds of bad things about it, you know, which, you know, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted discourse. But anyway, since, um, since all that happened and since I wrote the second book, no, not even after I wrote the first book, because if a, if a man bought the book, I mean, I would get phone calls, and he would say, I'm telling you, it, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. This one guy, that he said he had actually lost three, two wives. He was on his third. And he, he was petrified that she was going to leave him. She, he said, do you think this book would help? And I said, I said, if you read it together, it will help. I said, don't just take it home and think it will help. If you read it together, it would help. And I have to add that I, I tell everybody not to go on strike. That's not to tell them to go on strike because it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and I don't think anybody could really do it. The only time I would have somebody go on strike is if they're walking out the door because anything's better than that. Mm-hmm. But I got a lot of things in the book that tells you how to react and how to um, – uh, to talk to your husband, you know, and, and understand him first, and then and then start talking, so they don't have they don't have to go on strike. But anyway, this man, uh, he bought the book, and then he kept coming back to the store. I guess I was I was down in another uh, town signing books, and so when I come back to this place, he said, he came in and he says, "I've been looking for you every day." He says, "I have the best marriage that you could ever imagine." He says, and and uh, he says, you know, when I first walked in the door with that book that had that title on it, she started crying. And she says, and he was, she was ready to walk out the door. And, I, and she said, he says, we read it together, and we are just like even better than when we first got married. Hmm. So that's what came from, from this man. I've had about probably maybe 20 men that had just had total positive uh, um, reactions to it. Because one of the things they say is, and I asked him, I said, was it hard to implement? And he said, absolutely not. He said, we spent so much time arguing and I spent 24-7 worrying if she was going to leave me, that this is a piece of cake. And, um, and that's kind of the reaction I get from a lot of people is that, you know, it's, they, I think the idea is harder than, than doing it. Because and one of the things that he even said is he says, because see, part of the, I have a list at the end of the book, but one, of the, one thing that's on the list is fixing the car. Another thing is mowing the lawn. And so she sa- he says, you know, that when I pick those things, I already do those things. And so... And she had taken those for granted, so it helped both ways. Because when you get resentful, you don't think they do anything. You just think they're just a piece of crap. And so you don't even realize that they, they mow the lawn, they, they fix the cars, they do uh, perennial things, you know, that you don't give them credit for. And so that's another thing that he said, that was wonderful, too, because she never, ever gave me credit for that. And I was just pumping pumped myself up because I finally got credit for that, too. So... So that's part of what all of the, um, I, I do it. So in the man book, I, I don't know whether you've read it or not, but it's very, very gentle and, and um, friendly to a man and uh, t- takes him step by step on what to do. I think one of the, one of the problems, and you, you bring this out in a few of the stories in, in the books, um, and it, it, it appeared with the story with Helen and Jim. Um, Jim thought that the things he did were being appreciated and uh and it meant something different to helen and and vice versa helen um didn't think that things that she was doing were were being taken and and uh credited in in the way that she was uh wanting them to be to be credited by jim there's kind of a divide there and it's uh you have to bridge that divide don't you you do you do. You have to kind of understand each other, and a lot of how you understand each other is by listening and by communication. And and one of the things that why I really made a big deal about this householder stuff is because women don't dare even mention it, because that means that the one thing that 
says something about them and says what they're supposed to do, they're not capable of doing it. So it's, it's, in, it's deep down in their psyches, and it has been there forever. We've never evolved in that area. And so society will say, well, men have to help their wives do dishes and all this kind of stuff. They'll say that now. And there are men who, who do some of those things. But the missing link is that it shouldn't be. I always say it doesn't matter who does what. It matters who feels responsible for what and who feels guilty or inadequate if it doesn't get done. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder uh, if you could talk a little bit about um, th- this idea uh, that sort of the mantra in, in the book is help isn't helpful. And help isn't helpful because what do you say? I mean, you've heard your wife say, you've got to help me more. Well, she doesn't ever say help you with what. Because then she's got to have two or three more jobs to do to say, okay, now if you did this behind here, if you move this over here, and so she gets, and you know, she'll just say you have to help me more. And a man doesn't know what help means. Does it mean take the garbage out? Does it mean follow you around and help you with everything? Or does it mean something in between? And not only that, but if you help her, that means that this is still her total responsibility, and you're helping her with her job. When in reality, when two people are working full-time jobs, especially if you're, you're both working the same, you know, and, and sometimes the woman's working even, even more, and it's still her job. And the man feels really, really good if he can help her. But what, that's why I have the chores at the back of the book, because I, I say, you know, a man needs to choose his chores, because there's a lot of things in the household that he's not comfortable doing, and he doesn't think he can do them good enough to please her. Well, and I, and I, I hear the same thing from women. Well, what if he doesn't do it good enough? Well, find a corner, for heaven's sakes. Let him find something that he can do that you won't have to nag him for, and let him do it the way he wants to do it, because that's, that's very, very important. You can't let him be part of, of, of something. If it's not her job, if it's his job too, then you can't tell him how to do his job. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely does. And so what, what it has to be, and in fact, I had a lady that came in and she was just really resentful about, and she says, my husband's starting to do a lot more, and he, he, he's, he's really coming up to the plate, but she says, I can't get rid of that resentment I've had for so many years. And she says, another thing, she says, I, I'm so particular. I don't know whether he can do it like I do. I says, well, let me tell you. I sat her there and I said, listen to me. I said, you, uh, you can either let him do nothing now, and then you can, when you retire, you can let him. You can wait on him hand and foot, and then only one person in your family is going to retire, and then you only have yourself to blame. I says, you have got to lower your standards in some areas. If you're so particular in certain areas, then give him the basement or let him have. Pick the basement or give him something else, but don't. And, and, then, and then one of the things I always say to newlyweds is don't start out waiting on your husband hand and foot. And the best thing to do, instead of having fights, is just be, sit on the couch and say, honey, will you bring me a drink of water? A wife to do that, you know, for a husband. And, and let them get in the habit of doing things for each other because typically – that's what happens with a man is a woman just, you know, can you get me a drink of water? Can you get me something out of the fridge? And, that, and they'll bring it to him. And you don't have to say, I'm not doing that for you. But what you can do is you can sit on the couch and you can say, honey, I'd like a drink of water. Can you get me one? And he will. Who wouldn't? 
We're talking with Sherry Mills. Uh, her books are, I almost divorced my husband, but I went on strike instead. The new book is Marriage 101, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back with uh, Sherry Mills. Uh, you can join the program as well at 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to hear your story. Uh, you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page as well, or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. And uh, when we come back from the break, uh, one of the chapters in the new book is uh, Not Married. I hope you take that, that chance. That's the title of, uh, of the book. Uh, so advice to people who are not married. And uh, we'll also uh, get into talking about something that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. This is uh, fascinating to me, a story from uh, Sherry Mills' uh, past about uh, um, sometimes it's called buffering when perhaps it's, it's all right, it's okay, even desirable to, to keep some things from our spouse. Talk about that uh, following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Introducing Pumpernickel Rye and Pandemie. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto Casper. This week, two men who grew up in the same place but worlds apart demonstrate the power food has to unite us. We take a peek back in time to learn how Queen Victoria ran her kitchen, and we have gift ideas for those eaters and cooks in your life. It's The Splendid Table from APM. Coming up next at 10 o'clock. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I'm talking with Sherry Mills. She lives in Helper with her husband, Gerald. They've been married for 45 years, and almost that long, she's been a hairdresser. Um, at one uh, certain point, uh, she became obsessed with saving marriages. She saw far too many of them end in divorce uh, among her clients. And as a hairdresser, she has an advantage over a therapist in that she sees generations of uh, of clients and uh, sees the outcomes uh, in the, the good things they're doing and the bad things they're doing in their marriages. And uh, so she did a lot of research. She changed her salon from a, a four, I think, a chair salon to one chair so that she could uh, deal with her clients one-on-one. And uh, she's seen some success with, uh, with advice from her two books. The first book is I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead. Early in the program, we heard her, her story, and that uh, helped her marriage. And uh, now 45 years strong. And the next book, the Lewis book, is Marriage 101 for Men, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. We'll be talking about some uh, problems beyond householder chores. I'm sure, Sherry Mills, you've, you've heard other problems as well. First, I want to um, bring in uh, a comment on our uh, UPR Access email, but you can email us at upraxis at uh, gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can join us by phone as well. We'd love to get your experience, 1-800-826-1495. And just about 10 minutes left in the program, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Uh, this is from Jim. He says, where can I get these books in Cache Valley? Uh, that's I, I don't know if you knew, know Sherry Mills where, where these are available in Cache Valley. Uh, you can obviously get it on Amazon, some other places. Well, I, I think they were, I, I talked to somebody who was going to school up there, and they said that they were in some of the bookstores up there. And if they don't have them, they will order them. Okay, okay. Any, so. pla- any place will order them. 
So just ask for it, and uh, that can be ordered, or you can go online, I'm sure, to Amazon or yeah. one of the other places. Mm-hmm. And and the titles are, I almost divorced my husband, but I went on strike instead. The new book is Marriage 101 for Men, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. Uh, the, the new book is uh, from Cedar Fort Publishing. I'm not sure the the, the, the older book as well. Yeah. Uh, Sherry Mills is our guest for another 10 minutes. Uh, I wanted to uh, have you talk a little bit about uh, this uh, the chapter in your book, uh, Advice for people who are not married. You're encouraging people to take the plunge. I am. I think that a lot of people see these divorces and see how horrible divorces are. And so they're not, they're not even going to try in the first place because, in fact, my, um, one of the, one of the uh, kids from divorce told me that she was never getting married. She said, I will not put my kids through what I've been through. And I think a lot, that's a lot of the reason why men aren't getting married and why there's some women, too, but a lot of men have decided not to get married. And I said, you know, there's nothing nothing and i anybody that's had a happy marriage can say that there's nothing as fulfilling as a happy marriage and one of the things that a person can do if they actually um the psychologists have actually sent my books out to to newly married people and i always say that if you read both of my books and follow those things you won't get a divorce because you'll know what you're in for when you get a divorce and you'll have a happy marriage and if you fall in love with somebody and then you think, oh, I'm not going to get married because I might get divorced, you know. Don't look at it that way. Just plan on making it work mm. and do whatever it takes to make it work if you love them and, and if you feel this feeling for them and, and because it's possible. It's just the fact that even the psychologists say that they don't have my information in, the, in their curriculum. They want me to get my books part of the college curriculum. That I, Every psychologist I've talked to said these um, things that I've got in here are not part of the curriculum. And they need to be, mm. and uh, and so I think that I think that there is just not anything that and, and what they end up hearing when they when they have a buddy that's got a divorce, then he goes into the bar or goes someplace wherever they are, and they say, "Oh my word, don't ever get divorced, don't ever get married. It's the most horrible thing that ever was." You know, they see the bad things. They don't hear all of the wonderful stuff that happens in a marriage, and and how wonderful kids are, and how wonderful grandkids are. I mean, it gets better as years go by. Mm. It's just the most wonderful thing, and and. They don't realize that. You know, men just hear the bad things, and they don't hear the good stuff that happens in marriages. I wonder, are there other, we've talked a lot about uh, one of the biggest uh, problems, the biggest uh, sources of discord in marriage, and that's the imbalance in household or chores. What are some of the other problems that, that you hear from clients? Communication. Communication is really is really one of the, the things. And, um, and then... Um, Actually, communication is a big thing, and, and that's part of the householder thing, too. But you, I think everybody needs to, to say, before anything gets really big, if you have a, something to say to your husband that you don't like, say it before it gets to be a monster. Say, you know, uh, and, and women don't want to do that because I don't want to rock the boat. I, talk, I was uh, interviewed by this man. He said, I don't want to rock the boat. And I said, what do you do? What do you want to do? Rock the ship? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to rock the boat just for a little while now to get th- things settled out, because if, if you don't, you're going to end up with a big monster on your hands. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always say is, you know, there, nobody is perfect. And when, t- when two people get married, they actually have this thing where they've lived with this one kind of a family for so long, and they want to change the other person into their kind of a family. It takes them a while for them to realize that they're not going to do that. And then they realized that they did like, they loved this person who they were. 
before, you know, and, and yet they, they just have this thing inside of them where they want them to do just like their family did. Well, and they have to realize that they're not going to ever change anybody. If you, you change yourself, and sometimes that changes somebody else, but you never, ever change another person. You, uh, I read a phrase in, uh, in one of the books. It's kind of an, an old-fashioned phrase and sort of gone out of fashion. You talk about doing everything you can to keep one's marriage together for the sake of the children. Yes. But, and you know what's funny is that's one of, the, one of the three myths that people put out there. You don't just stay together for the sake of the children. I said, yes, you do stay together for the sake of the children. And if you're happy once, you can get happy again. Mm. You can, and a marriage counselor is a lot cheaper than a divorce. And I'm sure, I'm sure you would say, and you do in the books, that uh, there are some circumstances where you, where you don't want to stay together. Oh, yes. If there's abuse, uh, I mean, I've actually worked with abused um, clients who I help them out of, their, out of their marriages and actually work with other people to get them in a safe place because you don't want to stay in an abusive marriage. Nobody wants to stay in an abusive marriage. There, there are two or three things that I always say that, that are good reasons to get a divorce. That's why I always say that the double-duty, double standard is um, marriages that could be saved. There are some marriages that can't be saved. And so I work on the marriages that can be saved. Uh, I wonder if you could tell me about this. This appeared in the Wall Street Journal uh, a while ago. The headline is Little Lies Spouses Tell. And uh, you, you talk about um, there are a few things you, you haven't told your husband. Of course, it's, you know, he probably knows now. But <laughs> um, yeah. what you spend on makeup, how you indulge the kids. But you have, you have an interesting... A story about uh, about a, an ex-boyfriend. What do you tell that? Well, and it was really a big thing because I, uh, my husband was always really jealous of him, extremely jealous of him. And so uh, his mother was in the hospital dying, and uh, the x-ray technician was a friend of mine. And so she came to me one day, and she says, Rita wants to talk to you. And I said, I can't go talk to her. And um, and she says, well, she wants, she has something she needs to say to you. And and I told her, no, I wasn't going to. I said, Gerald would die. I, there's no way that I would be able to do that. And um, so anyway, she comes about a week later, and she says, Sherry, she's dying. It's her dying wish, and she, wants, she needs to talk to you. And so I felt so bad, but I thought, you know what, I've got to do it. She's dying, and I don't know what it is. And so I decided to make a, a deal with his sister. I'd act like that he was coming to dinner at her house, and I was there visiting, because I was still friends with his sister. So... I made a deal with her. Well, first of all, I went to the hospital. And what she said to me was, she said, you have got to get Jim out of that bar. They owned a bar called the Elite Club. And um, it had been the family for years. The dad had it, the mother had it, and then the son had it. And um, I said, well, why don't you tell him? And she says, he won't listen to me. And I said, well, have his sister tell him. And and she says, says, he won't listen to anybody but you. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, I've been married for, what, six years and she's telling me this so I I was just torn I was totally torn so what I did is I took my little boy with me to this sister's house and then I told him what she had said and he says I thought she'd want me to keep that in the family and I said well she she must have been pretty serious about it to have called me so that's what she wants and and then I left but I never did tell Gerald forever I never told him until this man died Mm. and I and I told him that I said 
I said, Gerald, I, said, I need to tell you something. And I said, this happened a long, long time ago, but I, and I didn't tell you. And he told me then, he says, I'm glad you didn't tell me. I wouldn't have ever, I wouldn't have ever accepted it. Mm. He says, but I'm glad you told me now. But that's one of the things where I think that, see, I knew him, and I knew how jealous he was. And so I knew that I had to do it, and yet I knew I couldn't tell him. And does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so this is where I say omissions. Sometimes omissions are, are good in a marriage. Hmm. Uh, by the way, we just have about 30 seconds left, so we'll, we'll wrap up. But I, I wanted to uh, just tell this story in passing. This is from the Wall Street Journal article. Your husband, apparently, you were away... He took your boys out for a lobster dinner and swore them to secrecy. Uh, and anyone you know who's ever been married knows that that didn't end well. That, that nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the kids uh, blabbed. So, uh, yeah, the kids always blab. <laughs> yes, uh, Sherry Mills uh, has been my guest. Uh, she lives in Helper with her uh, husband of uh, some 45 years, uh, Gerald, uh, and uh, she at one point. Uh, fought for her marriage, and uh, she tells that story in her first book, I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead. And the new book is Marriage 101 um, for Men, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. Both of those are available. Sherry Mills, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, coming up tomorrow, it's uh, a story about a, uh, a nerdy guy looking for romance. It's called The Rosie Project. It's a novel. We'll talk with the novelist uh, Graham Simpson. That's coming up tomorrow on Access Utah. For producers, uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. Hi, this is Justin Loftus from the USU Natural Resource Interpretation class. Many might think that rock climbing results from a quest for adrenaline and danger. On the contrary, most rock climbers strive for a calm and controlled state of mind. Many participate in rock climbing for reasons such as solitude, adventure, self-exploration, pushing physical limits, and accomplishment. The explosion of the number of people participating in rock climbing over the last decade has altered how many obtain these benefits. As more and more people are climbing in Utah, it has become harder to find solitude and adventure. This increase in numbers has led to federal land managers taking a closer look at the impacts caused by overuse. A strong wilderness ethic is vital to the future access of climbing areas. In a recent poll on mountainproject.com, the question was asked, what are the top 10 best climbing states? Among the replies, Utah is almost always among the top three. Canyons such as American Fork, Logan, Maple, Little, and Big Cottonwood make northern Utah a top competitor. These steep, technical faces offer difficult, continuous routes that push the physical realm of the sport. When southern Utah is thrown into the mix, Utah truly stands out as a gem. Places like Zion, Indian Creek, Moab, and St. George have parallel-sided cracks that split sandstone walls for hundreds of feet. These remote, desert regions offer a feeling of adventure and solitude that many areas in the U.S. lack. These qualities have put Utah high on the list as a must-visit climbing destination. Gone are the days when you and your partner were the only people climbing in an area on the weekend. As information about the amazing climbing in Utah has become readily available, people have come by the hordes to explore what Utah has to offer. Although rock climbers will have to find new ways to share such a unique resource, no one is doubting that Utah truly has something special to offer when it comes to rock climbing. 
It will take a concentrated effort on the part of all climbers to help maintain such a wonderful resource for future generations of climbers. For Wild About Utah, I'm Justin Lofthouse. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. In addition to the 25 million people in this country who have been diagnosed with diabetes or who have it but don't yet know that they do, an estimated 79 million people have entered the danger zone known as pre-diabetes. Their blood glucose levels are higher than normal but have not yet risen to the level at which they would indicate a diagnosis of diabetes. In people with prediabetes, the pancreas may not be working as efficiently as it once did, or the body may be gradually building a resistance to the insulin it produces so that the hormone can't do as good a job of clearing glucose from the bloodstream. The good news is that type 2 diabetes is preventable. Diabetes prevention is as basic as eating more healthfully, becoming more physically active, and losing a few extra pounds, and it's never too late to start. This is Lisa for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. Mm-hmm.